Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. Side stories. That's when the cannibalism started. Side Side stories. (laughs) Yes. Jay, what is going on with you? What is it? You know what? I'm trying... We sit together, right? How many years have we known each other? Oh, f- 10 to 15. 10 to 15 years. And, you know, when you have to sit and think, being the beginning of each one of these shows, we have to start a conversation. Yeah, and it's so hard to do. It's so yeah. hard to do. Because we hate each about, other. Yeah. I just fuck it. Because that's what we do. We are just contractual friends. Yeah, of course. Of course. Right? Yeah. Every day we go, we travel in separate limousines <laughs> to the studio. Uh-huh. Um, we each have a therapist that is that, a personal therapist for Last Podcast Manners. Then we have a group therapist. Then we have a therapist for that Therapist. Therapy on top of therapy on top of therapy. And they're sure. all watching each other. You Skype your parents in all the time to find out exactly what they think of every single thing that oh, you do. Oh, I have to be emotionally destroyed at least on a weekly basis. My mom's yeah. on speaker right now. She's just going, yeah. Henry Thomas said we should be on Broadway. Yeah, she would have loved for you to be on Broadway. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Side Stories. I am Ben, uh, staring at the beautiful face of Henry Zabrowski. You have no facial hair, which is always, speaking of, like, weird, this is... Uh, it's a little strange just to see your full face. I feel like I look like I have leukemia. <laughs> I, I look like when I get to a certain level of beard growth after shaving the beard and I just right. let it all go back, I just look like a person who's out for the afternoon from an insane asylum that yeah. I'm on a lot of like Thorazine. Dude, that's that's the penguin. This is that's what I'm the saying. story. They won't let me send in a tape. They deserve. I should have asked Elijah Wood. Just send in a tape. Well, why did Henry just mention Elijah Wood? Because that's what this episode is all about. We are going to speak with Elijah Wood and Daniel Noah. They are the co-hosts of Visitations, a podcast out. They are doing some kick-ass interviews with some of the best directors out there in the world. They are also behind the great production company Spectravision, which has given us great films like A Girl Walks Alone uh, at Night, uh, Mandy, uh, some just wonderful things that they're working on. I can't wait to speak with them. So here it is, ladies and gentlemen, our conversation with Daniel and Elijah. I know you'll enjoy it. From your Dude, today uh, we have a very exciting episode, and we are yes. so happy uh, to have a conversation with these people. Uh, they are in the horror-verse. Uh, we have very similar interests when it comes uh, to films and the films that we love to see mostly involving blood they are also co-hosts of the new podcast of the hit podcast visitations we are joined by elijah wood and daniel noah thank you all so much for being on the show 
Thanks for having us. Hello. Hey, Daniel. And of course, you also have um, the the production company Spectravision. Very excited about Visitation. So ex- explain this. This is you guys talking to filmmakers. Now, is it you guys sticking to genre films? For the most part, in terms of horror and sci-fi, yeah. In regards to the people that were like the subjects that we're talking to, yeah, yeah. I think that you know because the podcast came through Shutter, right? Shutter being the the sort of Netflix for horror. Um, you know, they approached us. They had this sort of uh, podcast initiative. They were doing a number of podcasts, and they asked if if we wanted to fill a slot. And we were kind of interested. We we love podcasts, but we didn't quite have like a solid idea. You're too. You're literally too handsome for podcasts. We were told that we have faces for radio. That is why we're doing this. Yeah, (laughs) and feet and limbs overall. Radio. Yeah, isn't that fun? Uh, But anyway, so we bounced. We bounced a bunch of ideas around, and because it was Shutter, we knew that the the sort of connective tissue had to be genre at least tangentially. but yeah, the, the main concept that we sort of landed on was this idea of an interview show that didn't necessarily feel like a typical interview show where we would yeah. go literally visit uh, people in their homes or offices and where, you know, we would basically be lobbed up and there would be no crew present to give the sense of essentially just sort of forgetting that you were even being recorded. And then right. a conversation would take place in, in the, the span of two to three hours. That would cover not the person's body of work specifically, but rather mm-hmm. who that person was, what their childhood was, and what ultimately led them down the path of creation in the sort of dark world of genre. Right. Well, was that something that, uh, and Daniel, you can hop in here, was uh, that that world, was that something that you guys were always interested in? I know for Henry, Marcus, and myself, that was sort of a, a key bonding moment for all three of us when yeah. when Marcus brought up the movie Cannibal Holocaust and Henry and I were like, yeah, it's like top 20. I mean, it's not like my favorite horror film, but you know, like <laughs> the fact that we even knew it. like It's we- a personal love. I feel like it does come, like, that's why I really appreciate the idea of talking to filmmakers from and, and genre creators of people like where they came from because I feel like horror is kind of a personal thing. Yeah. So, uh, and Daniel, you can take this off uh, if you want to lead this off. Where did you sure. uh, find or discover your fascination with this subject matter or just with this genre in general? You know, this is kind of really the subject of visitations in many ways is, you know, what it's, it's counterintuitive that sort of walking deliberately into dark subjects would be something that people would sign up to do. And yet, right. obviously... You know, millions do it every day. People who love horror and, and you know, just all tales of the macabre or, or dark things in general. And, and why is that? And I think, you know, for me, it was uh, it, it's a subject I've spent a lot of time examining. And I know Elijah has as well. And for me, it was kind of multi-determined. I think on, on the one hand, I had the, one of the most positive uh, figures in my early childhood was my grandfather who had a deep love of the universal horror films nice yeah horror in general and so we used to watch these old we we would watch all the kind of original classic universal horror movies together saturday matinees in chicago in the 70s and and i i started to associate sort of safety and warmth with those films and so i think that's that's one part of it but another part of it is that also related to having sort of a tumultuous childhood where there wasn't this things were changing a lot and my the the sort of calibration of my family kept changing and I kept moving and and that when I first discovered horror and specifically it was stumbling onto the 
pilot episode of the Twilight Zone mm. at, at when I was five years old, and and I think it was like being hit with a tidal wave of, oh my god, I'm not the only one who feels this disoriented and right. confused about yeah. the way the world works, and I'm not I'm not alone. And and now I can't get enough of this. So like, what else is out there that reflects the way I feel? I, of course, it took me thirty years to understand this. Right. But um, but I think that was that was really it for me early. And and you know there were a series of events throughout my life that really led to me saying I think horror is what I want to commit my career to. And of course, Rod Sterling is the best of both worlds, a face for television and the voice for radio. He is, he was just perfect yeah. in every single way. I they know. were back in the day when like smoking cigarettes, like helped your voice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they would, they would gargle the smoke to make it extra gravelly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Me- me- menthol. It's good yeah. for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And then uh, Elijah, with your work, obviously your, your life and uh, career has been so well, um, uh, it's been so well looked into and examined over the years. Was there what was well, that? Do, do do you feel like because uh, do you feel like there was a notable noticeable shift toward genre when you decided to do Maniac? When you guys were working on Maniac, like do you feel like that there was like a thing that ended up swinging? Because when did because Spectre Vision was made after Maniac, correct, or was it during that time period? Correct. Yeah, Spectre Vision. Well, actually, no, Daniel. Spectre Vision was sort of around the, that time. I think we 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 kind of secretly spit in our hands and shook. Yeah, in about 2010. I don't remember what year Maniac was. It was about the same time, right? It was around the same time. The the two things weren't yeah. related, but there was there was like crossover because um, Alex Taylor, who was the producer on Maniac, mm-hmm. is, is good friends of ours, so we knew her. And I think that's actually it was either through Josh or Daniel that I ended up getting in touch with Alex, who reached out to me about Maniac to begin with. So it was sort of related, but they, we didn't have anything to do in regards to the production. Right. But yeah, that's interesting. Like, was that a, a sort of line in the sand for me? I don't know. I think it was the first opportunity to work on a real horror film as an actor. And It's like, rad, dude. It's a great it, movie. It, I love that film too. And I was initially reticent because I don't really love the idea of remakes. Most of them are pretty terrible. Right. Um, or don't have a reason to exist, moreover. And this one, I was so fascinated by the approach and the fact that it was so different. The idea of shooting most of the movie in POV was really fascinating. It almost had this like, <clears throat> um, oh, uh, what's the, what, a Peeping Tom kind of vibe, which Absolutely. is a favorite movie of mine. Um, so yeah, that it, the opportunity to play a killer in a in a uh, horror film was super exciting. Oh, absolutely. It's the best. I was barely on screen. So I was on set every day and working with the DP, Maxime, uh, who effectively was me as the operator. Right. And I was always, it was like this dance of trying to figure out ways to get into frame and, and subtle, interesting ways, getting yeah. my arms and hands in there. It was fun. It was really fun. Was that something that you had uh, in mind that you always wanted to do was to throw yourself into this horror world and become uh, a, a maniac in, in the film maniac, obviously, or were you inspired by anyone? I know Peter Jackson, obviously the uh, director of Lord of the Rings, people often forget he is the dude who didn't made dead alive. Like did, did yeah. he influence you or did he um, uh, talk to you at all about horror films when you guys were, you know, in such close contact? We didn't talk a great deal about horror movies, um, but his work certainly influenced me. I mean, I, I, you know, I came up on on his his old horror movies, 
probably after I saw Heavenly Creatures, which I think was the first thing I, of his that I'd seen, I then went back into his catalog and watched everything except for Bad Taste, which I came to much later. Um, but no, I mean, I think my my love of genre and horror started when I was like six or seven years old. I have a, a, a brother who's seven years older than me. He was renting movies with his friends. Invariably, they would be horror movies because that's what they wanted to see. Yeah. Um, and he would be like, hey, dude, come and check this out. Just don't tell mom. So I would get access to see these movies way before I should have. Awesome. And I and I fell in love with it. And I and I, you know, the older I got, the more I saw, the more I, I deeply fell in love with the genre and saw it for more than the sort of titillating, um, you know, genre elements. But but also for its beauty and for the the art that it can represent. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's what I really started to see as I got older and sort of explored the genre more fully um, was I was just attracted to the art of it. Yeah. And then from a, from an acting perspective, you know, the maniac thing was just also, an, it was just an opportunity to play a villain. I, I, I'd never really played uh, a, a maniac before. <laughs> so yeah. right. it, it was just to be able to do something as twisted as that was really fun. I'm a, I'm a short statured performer. Um, and as a short stature performer, a lot of times I feel like, um, especially if I want to come across as a dangerous person, I'm just talking about my real life. If I want to intimidate somebody, I feel like I have to go overboard and I've been, been accused of going overboard mm -hmm. in social situations because you feel as this, I have a small person rage. Do you feel like <laughs> any of that end up translating? Like if you want to be scary on camera, like do you think that you would like oh, as a fellow short statured actor when you have to go in there and be fucking terrifying? Is there a way that you have to gear yourself up and do you end up doing that to your family as well? Do you terrorize them as well? <laughs> like in the process of that? <laughs> Because that's what I get accused of a lot. Yeah. Uh, yes, indeed. And rightfully so. Yeah. I, so you're sort of saying, like, am I compensating for my lack of height? Do we become, uh, do you have to go to. crazier? Yeah. Yeah. Not really. I think the fun thing about crazy. See, Henry, not really is the answer. Henry has been trying to validate his, like, aggressive <laughs> demeanor because he's like, saying. I got it. If I don't go to 100. Because I actually find the inverse far more frightening. It's the mm. quiet, weird people that are terrifying, not the loud yep. ones. <laughs> I, 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 introverted or plotting <laughs> to shoot me. That's what I'm saying. I don't trust introverts. Times have you heard? He he was a nice man. He <laughs> would. He seemed so sweet. We barely saw him. He rarely came outside. But God, he was a sweet guy. Uh -huh. I mean, just that's cleaning his guns and people you got to stay away from. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Daniel, uh, what has been one of the experiences so far on visitations? Again, we are speaking with Elijah Wood and Daniel Noah, check out their podcast visitations, and they are doing some kick ass things as well with their production company, Spectravision. And we should talk if we can about Friday, the, or about nightmare on Elm street. I want to talk about, yeah, several things and Mandy, obviously. Yes. But, but Daniel, I guess just, just quickly uh, from your perspective, what are, what are you learning right now what are some of the takeaways that you've had in these conversations with these truly iconic directors there was a point at, at, at which elijah and i had this realization after we'd recorded maybe you know the first five or six of these mm -hmm. that without even meaning to we were inadvertently kind of conducting like a psychological study we were we were collecting data and then there were these really striking commonalities in the childhoods of almost everyone that we talked to hmm. that eventually led them down a path of embracing 
you know, sort of the dark arts or, or you know, genre or, or horror or, or, or what have you. Daniel, were those mostly traumatic incidents or just sort of just life incidents in general? Is Did- it just a lot of wedgies? Because <laughs> we experienced those. <laughs> yeah. Well, so look, certainly that, I mean, that is that is a real, a real factor that, you know, when you go the, the sort of genre community of, of people who make genre films and love genre films right. is, is a very warm and welcoming community. And I think that a lot of that is because it's people who feel like they're misfits who don't, yeah. they don't fit in anywhere. They, you know, it's a lot of Wednesday Adams right. you know, all <laughs> co- coming together going, you know, again, I'm not, thank God I'm not alone. And I, I, I you know, I will often come back to that. Uh, thank God I'm not alone as a sort of general explanation for why people love horror. Absolutely. Um, but but the what we found with with these conversations on visitations, um, to be very specific about it, was that there were a lot of uh, a lot of transients, like like kids who got moved around a lot. Mm. There were a, a lot of um, a lot of broken homes, or, or or even more specifically, the loss of a key uh, uh, like support figure like a parent mm. or a grandparent either through death or divorce or, or circumstance yeah um, um, uh, a, a lot of cases of, of kids getting moved into communities where they didn't necessarily feel like they fit in very well um, it's yeah. like the parents almost kind of held them back though you know what I mean it's like thank God they got rid of the parents or they <laughs> wouldn't be very successful directly <laughs> I think they would like to have their parents back Henry <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying it'd be nice. Just because you could do away with yours, most people need their parents. But, yes, but no that that is that is so interesting, uh, and that's why we just love obviously talking with you guys, and and it's just always so fascinating to speak to other people in the arts because their stories are always unique and compelling. Oh, but yeah. then when you find the similarities, it's uh, it makes you feel less like another. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and I think also the hope too is, and this is this really came through the process of recording, like Daniel was saying, we realized about five or six episodes in that we were conducting this sort of inadvertently conducting research that had all this commonality. One of the fringe benefits of of the show, hopefully, is that people who can relate can hear their idols, people that they look up to, also express their their fears and, and their insecurities and the fact that, you know... The path to that success is is not necessarily an easy one, and and I think hopefully that'll inspire people to kind of move forward in their art, knowing that you know Taika Waititi is still like I don't know how long my career is going to go, so I'm just going to keep going at it. You know, yeah. oh shit, there's something really um, there's something beautiful about that. Uh, you know, yeah. in, in regards to being inspiring to other artists. We spoke with Mike uh, Flanagan from Doctor Sleep. And uh, he was talking about how, you know, everyone's like, oh, your career must be going so well. And we're like, how is that? How does that feel? He's like, I want to throw up every day. And like, oh, cool. I just want to vomit every single day. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. His interview was really, really revealing. That, that was actually a really great example of a conversation where things that hadn't occurred to him occurred to him over the course of our conversation, which was pretty incredible. Just, yeah. you know, things about his life, reasons he makes the decisions that he's made in his art funneling back to things from his childhood 
and kind of connecting. We, we literally heard him connect those dots, some of them for the first time, which was really amazing. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, it just shows how personal his films were. Not that I didn't understand it completely, especially like because when we spoke with him ourselves, he was talking about breaking down The Shining, like the difference between The Shining and Dr. Sleep and talking yeah. about it was alongside Stephen King's own struggles with uh substance abuse right like, mm-hmm. I, I i don't know why i never hit me as that before because you know how many times you've seen the shining you know you read the book you know about kind of what stephen king as a, a, a artist went through and yeah. then you realize oh the shining is all just about being locked inside of cocaine yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he had to like get out and it's like because he was so scared of himself right. as a fucking writer right. which is the scariest right. job yeah i think because sure. you just sit alone all day with right. your fucking brain, and God knows what you come up with if I can to entertain yourself. Fly from your grave. Fly from your grave. Well, speaking <laughs> of Dr. Sleep, we talked with Mike about how difficult that was to work in Kubrick's shadow. And oh. I know with Spectrovision, uh, we are seeing on Bloody Disgusting and places like that that you all are very interested in uh, producing the new Nightmare, a new Nightmare in Elm Street. So I know Henry has a lot to ask about that. And also, how are we getting Robert England in there? And what are we going to do? And how do you get him out of retirement? He was in the Goldbergs. If he played the fucking <laughs> he did, Freddy he on the Goldbergs. Recently, he did recently say that he had one more in him, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we don't necessarily have a concept fully baked, but we we love the universe. And in opportunity, it's really interesting at this particular juncture with some of these really classic um, franchises is that they they reach a, a a point in which they've been really played out and they're a little stale. So the idea of right. taking something like that that is so beloved and and reinvigorating it with a new perspective is a really exciting prospect. And trying to do something yeah. different that no one's done before, mm-hmm. which is really what something like that needs rather than more of the same, you know? Yeah, because they try to do it with Hellraiser by just casting a fat Hellraiser, but it doesn't actually (laughs) change the movie. He wasn't fat. He was just fat for Pinhead because Pinhead ain't eating very much. No. But yeah, that that would be one of those, and and Daniel, you can speak to this, that seems like if you would be, uh, if you did end up producing Nightmare on Elm Street, it is both a blessing and then a massive, like, how the hell are we going to live up to the standards that Wes Craven set for the for this incredible for this incredible incredible iconic character and and series of films? Uh, so d- does that send so that is is that more invigorating for you that concept of like we got a lot of we got some big shoes to fill or is that like how the hell are we going to manage to pull that off if we have to? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, it should be said that that there's absolutely no conversation happening about us producing Nightmare on Elm Street. This is a, a, a nothing more than a wish on our part. It, no, uh, it's a nice po- it's, I just but, saw the tweet and I was just like, can we help boost the signals? Like, no, yeah, no, I really I, trust I, you guys. I think I you guys are manifest, great stuff. If we talk about it and manifest itself into reality, I think, <laughs> I think we can do this. Franny Krueger. Franny Krueger. I love it. A female <laughs> Freddy Krueger. Franny Krueger. You stole our notes. No, um, <laughs> look, we, we, we've been, I mean, I personally have been chasing, I mean, even dating back 10 years when I was working as a TV writer, I was trying to get the rights and had a very specific take on it, which we probably wouldn't be, you know, all that prudent to get into on a podcast. But, mm. but, you know, we've also Adam Egypt Mortimer, who directed Daniel is a real for us. Um, is also obsessed with Nightmare on Elm Street, and and we've all been sort of collectively talking about it, and 
you know, we, we have chatted with the rights holders a little bit and there's a lot of, a lot of complications about the rights. So I, I don't know that anyone's making a nightmare on Elm street film anytime yeah. soon, but, um, but, um, but I, I, look, I think with, with anything like this, where there is so much baggage in, in history, you're going to piss off certain people. It's, yeah. it's just, it's unavoidable. I mean, I, I've even just, you know, th- this whole thing came out of an interview we did with coming soon where they asked us to, to name five fantasy films. And we, we just mentioned this and, and now I think there've been like five or six other stories about it. Right. Um, that have hit since that came out. And, and I've even just looked in the comments, people are already having arguments about a movie, yeah. that, uh, a movie that doesn't exist. It doesn't, um, uh, oh, the internet is so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but, uh, you know, I, I think the, the, this is where, you know, just having a, a team of, of really smart and thoughtful people comes into play. I, right. I think, as, as we've talked about how we would hypothetically tackle it, I, I've had some pretty extreme points of view about abandoning a lot of what's happened in the past. And Elijah, as a voice of reason, has reminded me that there are fans that want to see certain things. And yeah, so, sure. you know, you, you, you have to balance things out. I know we would yeah. love if we ever, you know, we're lucky enough to have it. We'd love to have England do one more rodeo with us. And, um, but I, I, all I'll say is that, you know, we, we have, while we haven't fully baked it, as Elijah said, we, we have a, a sort of general approach to it that has never been done before in any of the iterations, um, that in some ways in our little minds feels so obvious that, we're a little bit surprised that it hasn't been done before. Um, it's it's really just kind of taking the mythology that's there and, and, and asking yourself, what other avenues can be walked down? You know, what if you took a left turn off of Elm Street onto, you know, what, whatever, uh, Maple Street or, you know, what what other stories are, are around the corner? But then also, I also wonder the story of Frederick Krueger. Like, that's the other thing. Mm. I was being like, what about him? As a child molester, which is not, you know, like not the most exciting. <laughs> okay, elevator pitch. You know, I yeah. object on that one because because uh, per canon, this is the thing that's so confusing about all of these um, these long winded franchises. I mean, this mm-hmm. happened with Halloween too, where like the cult of Thorn comes into it, and you're like, what the fuck is all this? Like oh, yeah. suddenly. Well, initially, Freddy Krueger was only a child murderer, and he wasn't, I believe, not established as a molester until the remake. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, Maybe. Right. Is that true? Yeah. That's yeah. what... true. And I, I gotta say, I, I've never bought, I've never liked the molestation thing. The killer is like, it's just, it's like putting a hat on a hat. It's so And he kills them? Oh, come on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let him just yeah. be a murderer. <laughs> well, yeah. you know and what? He insults you... their mothers. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That makes that makes you the best person in Hollywood, Elijah. He just wants the killer. That's all he, he wants. He doesn't need the molestation. He doesn't need to make the lick lick. Well, I think that people on the internet were so abuzz with the idea of you guys uh, handling such a massive undertaking as remaking Nightmare on Elm Street because of all your success uh, when it comes to SpectraVision's production or uh, producing of Mandy. You guys do such a good job, I think, of selecting cool, unique titles to work with. Like, how did you guys get to Mandy? Like, yeah. how, how did Mandy show up? Like, I, I it was mind blowing. It's my favorite movie still. 
effect of the year. It's like it was great. I have a um, Shane Morton that created the Cheddar Goblin. He does yeah. my show for Adult Swim. He's the production designer for Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. Oh, yeah. And so yeah, yeah. he he pulled me a Cheddar Goblin that I oh. have in my home. Yep. No it's way. Nice. Yeah, he sees me naked. <laughs> Holy Every day. shit, that's incredible. Well, yeah, well, we had we had seen um, we had seen Panos's first film, Beyond the Black Rainbow, yes. and which uh, you know not a lot of people saw when it came out, and it, we were just knocked out by it. I, I remember um, calling Panos's manager and saying, uh, you know, at the risk of hyperbole, I think this guy is one of the most important filmmakers alive, and yeah, and. We um we were able to track Panos down when he was in Los Angeles. We we had lunch with him at Cantor's on Fairfax, yep. and we literally said to him, "We don't even care what it is. We want to produce your next film. Yeah. We're in. Like it, it's not about yes. what project it is. It's about you." you and he pitched and- us. Uh, he pitched us Mandy that day. He's wow. like, this is what I'm working on, and I don't believe it had been completely written at that stage. And then he sent us no. this number of months later. Um, For those that haven't seen Beyond the Black Rainbow, it is a beautiful movie. Mm. It's uh, it's just shot so gorgeous. Um, but it didn't have the same story as Mandy had, right? Like, Mandy no. is such a intense love story, revenge story, sci-fi story, horror well, story. What makes it sing is the emotional connection to the very bottom of it. And also, right. Nick Cage fucking swinging for the fences like he comes yeah. out and he really does it like he tears he tears it down that scene of him in the bathroom in his underwear is brutal and i think that i don't think yeah. he knew that the cameras were running yeah Hannah <laughs> talks about the two films as sort of two sides of the same coin um both of them are dealing with the death of his parents mm. um the first movie beyond the black rainbow he describes as an inhale so it's cold. It's not emotional. And Mandy is an exhale. It is pure heart, pure emotion. Um, and you can really feel that. Like they, they really do deal with similar things. But but Mandy is like an explosion of heart and of emotion, you know? Yeah. You've now had an opportunity to work with Nick Cage quite a bit now, right? Because also like because you've now you've done you've been several movies with him. I love his process and what he has brought to this movie when he's like ready to do it. Yeah. yeah. He is just fucking an unstoppable force. Well, and I know that initially Panos had had him uh, for the villain role, correct? Yeah. And yeah. then Nick is like, I want to be the hero. Uh, do you guys have any insight into what it was, what uh, what convinced Panos that, indeed, Nick Cage needs to be the hero? Because it sort of started a whole kind of different side to Nick Cage that we hadn't seen. In a while, at least. In a long time. So, do you know, like, what was it that he showed where you're like, that's the perfect role then, dude, and and I know you're going to nail it. Was there anything in particular? Well, as, as Panos tells it, you know, Nick, you know, Elijah had done the trust with Nick, and, and Nick, who's just a like a big-hearted child in the body of an adult man, uh, was, you know, excitable and, and yeah. curious and, and passionate, and he was real interested in what we were doing, and, and um, he, you know, I remember he even when we met him on set when you guys were shooting, he was so he, he loved the Spectre Vision, he loved the vibration off that name, and, what, <laughs> and so you know he he started asking Elijah, you know, saying to Elijah like, you know, you guys seem like you you were pretty hip on like new filmmakers, and and you know what should I look at? Elijah gave him Beyond the Black Rainbow, he loved it, and then we oh. offered him the role of Jeremiah Sand. The, the villain right um, Nick showed up in Vancouver to meet Panos with us all thinking he was ready to say yes and he 
surprised Panos and said, I, I want to play the hero. Panos said no. Oh. We were all heartbroken. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. Yeah. It was actually, there was a cool little bit of nuance to that, too, which I really love. Is that It wasn't simply that he wanted to play the hero. It was that he felt, he actually articulated that he didn't feel like he had the emotional. That's right. In, yeah. Not the emotional intelligence. There was a way he put it. But that he said he his life experience wouldn't allow him to play San in the way that he thinks somebody else could, which I thought was such a that's such a generous thing. It's like it's not saying I don't want to play the villain, I want to play the hero. It's actually far more nuanced than that. That's it's, true. Yeah, I don't yeah, feel yeah, I'm yeah. capable of doing this. I think some you should find somebody else. Right. But I, I am capable of playing this other guy, and I just thought that was right. such a cool thing. Anyway, just to finish the, to answer your question, uh, a few weeks later, Panos had a dream. In which Nick was red, and 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 it awesome. just dropped for him the how it could work. And I remember he texted us and said, "Did did we make a huge mistake?" And we all said, "Yes." Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and then Elijah emailed Nick and said, "Hey, you know, we we think we can make this work. Are you still down?" And I, Elijah, do you remember that amazing email he wrote back? Like, let's drink some wine out of skull, uh, skulls, or what? What was the? Oh yeah, no, just like. Yeah. Yeah, fuck, I'd have to dig it up, but it we was... got to dig it up, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he, but it, yeah. Let's, crush, let's crush skulls and drink to the eternal fire. I don't know, it was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Super and, and, metal. <laughs> uh, and of course, the actor that played Jeremiah was Linus Roach. That's uh, right, And he yeah. just beasted it, and I gotta say this, off the record, what a dong! Very large penis. What a dong! <laughs> when, you're, <laughs> when, you're, when you're casting someone, not that I'm 13 years old here, but I'm just asking a question. I'm like, you know, I'm like... Did you look at him nude to choose him? <laughs> because if he had a small penis, this is true, because he did such a great job, but like, if he had a small donger, is that a no? Is that a no for me? Well, no, actually, you know, it's, it's, actually yeah. in the script, you should bring that up. Yeah, it, it was written that that Jeremiah does have a small penis. Huh. Oh, interesting! Wow, and then so, so he played against type. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you do that? Do you add, are you like okay, Linus? This is the part of the audition. You're giving a big speech. You happen to be tripping on acid, and your dong is out. Let's see it, baby. <laughs> Or was well, it a surprise what? on set? This isn't fucking Hooters. <laughs> I don't this is know. a movie. I don't know how it works in these auditions. You know, to, to Linus's credit, he's a, such a beautiful human being. He initially declined. He did yeah. not want to do the full frontal nudity. nudity yeah. and, and Panos said, okay, we'll shoot around it. Um, and on the day, he ex he describes having this realization that women are so frequently forced to do this to keep their right. jobs that yes. he would be uh, it would be kind of an injustice for him yeah. to say no to this and that that really that in so many cases for women it's exploitative in yeah. this case the the request for him to do nudity was a very important story point yeah and oh, yeah. he he he, talk, he says you know who who was i to say no what, what just because i have the luxury of saying no doesn't mean that i should take i should exercise that and and so he he did it and i wow. mean really a really a really <laughs> a funny thing to say but a really kind of beautiful uh, gesture on his part to to allow that yeah. To, to allow himself to be filmed that way. Yeah. Well, um, what, once you yeah. revealed the goods, uh, was there an audible gasp? No, we don't have to. They're not. It's just, honestly, it was a nice penis, but it's not like it was a <laughs> weirdly shaped, crazy circus penis. I just thought it was very nice. But it's also like during 
Jodorowsky's Holy Mountain when they were like George Harrison was supposed to, I guess, to be the lead of Holy Mountain. And they have that scene in that movie where he washes his butthole for like 45 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. Like he washes, he sponges his, <laughs> his butt. And literally George Harrison's like, can we just cut the butthole washing scene and I'll do it? And Jodorowsky's like, no. <laughs> this is too important to my film. And that, that George Harrison did have to pass. Wow. He was like, oh, oh I cannot do this. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, well, what's coming? So now you have Daniel isn't real, right? You have, yeah. what are the, the next rollout of the next couple of films? And how will that feature into visitations? Are you guys going to end up like, is there a way you can pair these two? Because I know Shudder must be like super happy for something like that because you guys are such a new vibrant name in horror and shutter has been crushing it as oh, yeah. well with their awesome. acquisitions yeah, they yeah they're rad man is there like a, a dovetailing here we, we kind of did it already i mean we we actually just by coincidence have two films coming out right in a row so we've got daniel isn't real is uh our sort of uh, our, our horror imaginary friend movie that's coming out in awesome. December. December yeah. um, and then a couple months later, we don't have a date yet, but our film color out of space is coming out. Yes, which I'm is so also... excited. <laughs> that's awesome. It's, um, a, so it's something else, man. It's, it's a real special movie. And that is also our second film with Nick cage and Richard Stanley directed that. And we interviewed Richard on set right. for visitations. And that episode is already available. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, we're not specifically trying to promote our movies, but you know, we often, I mean, three of our filmmakers are, are, uh, are on season one of visitations and I'm sure we'll continue to do that because we've, you know, we work with people we find interesting and, and, uh, it was was as much about, you know, we obviously want to talk to people that we weren't as familiar with, but we also are lucky enough to know some people that we really admire. And so it was, it was also just sort of mining those personal relationships to get a little deeper and to sort of showcase, you know, uh, a, a, a deeper sort of perspective on who these people are. Yeah, I mean the bit you know obviously our our season one finale is is it's a two parter with Guillermo del Toro and and you know we're, we're we're unlikely ever to get to produce a film for him but yeah. um, but you know it, it was uh, it, it took many many months to lock him down but we we were finally able to do it and and uh, it, you know that I think that episode is just a knockout he's get, he gets so uh, intimate with just kind of talking about his life and and how the ways in which his his personal experiences have, have crept into his work and and sort of his is the legacy that he wants to leave behind yeah. it's, it's an incredibly powerful conversation that i think we, we ourselves were very enriched by just well, we're so honored to have had that opportunity with yeah, him he was so generous with his time as well I, I would love for you to expand on that but uh i would just like for people to listen so go to uh so listen to visitations we are currently speaking with elijah wood and daniel noah check out the podcast visitations it has henry and my full endorsement i can't friggin' wait to hear the show dude. um but this I is a, great i have a question about uh what's going on now with filmmaking obviously mandy was crowdfunded correct wasn't there a large like internet movement to get mandy made once they found out that panos was making another movie or if not like just talk about uh, how technology has played into getting the movies out to people that they want to see. Because I feel like for the longest time, the Hollywood machine would ruin the genre. They yeah. ruin so many they great just give a shit. They just don't care. They water it down. Do you feel like we're in sort of another golden era for horror because the fans have more of a say in what they actually want to see and people seem to be listening? I think it's a combination of things. Daniel, you can speak to this too, but I, I think we we started our company at a, at a juncture in which, which it, it preceded this golden age that we're currently in. 
Mm. And we started our company largely as an answer to what we felt was a missing component, which was that there was no single place that quality, interesting, forward-thinking genre was being made in the U.S. There was a lot of great genre films being made in, in other countries and a few examples of like standalone sort of movies that were being made in the U.S., but not like a movement happening. So that's why we started our company. And then over the last decade, you know, we were, we've been lucky enough to go to, to Sundance multiple times and we've seen this sort of shift of the tide where suddenly movies that you know, would have been only playing in the midnight section of Sundance were being were bleeding into the regular competition that were clearly genre movies, where genre was being accepted and embraced by a much larger community as a legitimate art form. And and I think there's probably a lot of reasons for this. I I, I put a certain amount of that responsibility on on film festivals like Fantastic Fest, which I think has a lot to do with building the community and and the sort of strengthening that larger voice around those films and then certain movies popping out and and legitimizing the genre things like the witch and i would put uh, another film that you produced a girl walks home alone at night which is you've seen this it's just beautiful stunning stunning piece of art well i honestly here horror for me is like really it, it's saving indie film i think because no one goes to see indie comedies as much as we it's like true. them like people don't like people will go though to see what are now becoming almost like destination horror indie films because you yeah. guys are just making pure movies that people actually want to see. Like you're making movies for yourself that you want to see that align with what all of us want to see because you're true fans and we're true fans. Which for, I don't know why it seems to only exist in horror. We just kind of have to hold the line. So that it doesn't, because, you know, because once it starts making too much money and then we're all fucked and then all of a sudden Mandy's a ride at Universal and then we can't do anything. You know what I mean? There's a Mandy 5. Yeah. There's a kind of cool thing, though. There's like the the bigger budgets, like what would, would have previously been studio movies and to a certain degree they are, are handled by Blumhouse. And so there's like a whole track of the bigger budgeted horror movies that are yeah. very well handled by them. And then Ooh, they're doing great. They're doing great. They're doing fantastic. And, and you know, the other studios aren't bothering with horror and then it's all independent yeah. studios, um, either independently financed or, you know, a 24 God bless them. They are, please stay making genre films. A 24. I love a 24. Do you feel like this is the only time something like Spectrovision? This is the best time for y'all to shine. Like, is this something that you had wanted to do in a long time uh, for a long time? Start a production company, and you're like, because of technology, because of the sort of realignment of the power structure that's going on in Hollywood right now. Like, this is the time to strike. Um, and do you feel like you could have been able to do this five, ten years ago, or is it just is it just right now? Is this the perfect time? It wasn't strategic on our part at all. It, it was purely motivated by us becoming friends, realizing that we had a shared mutual love of, of genre and horror, particularly the kinds of movies that weren't being made regularly at the time. And it just so happened to coincide with this beautiful renaissance and embracement of the genre in general. You know, It was not at all strategic. It was not like, you know, let, now let's strike while the iron's hot. It's like, let's make this... 
And 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 if the iron wasn't hot, we'd still be making those movies. Yes, right. Yeah. Yes, it's not. It wasn't at all a strategic move on our part. It was purely like we love this, and these are the films we want to make, and and the filmmakers that we want to support. You know, awesome. There was this uh, an interview with Robert Altman that I, I refer to a lot when when we get asked this question, in which someone asked him toward the end of his career how he could account for the ways in which he had sort of zigzagged through the zeitgeist with sometimes his films being huge hits and sometimes them sort of, you know, not even getting a real release. And his answer was, it's not me that's zigzagging. It's the zeitgeist. I've yeah. always moved in a straight line. Mm, and right. sometimes my interests have aligned with culture and sometimes they haven't. And, yep. and mm. I, I think, you know, many of the greatest artists, I think, behave that way. Yep. Um, horror is, is a genre that, uh, you know, like Michael Myers, never dies. It always comes back from the dead yep. and tends to reflect times of anxiety, um, you know, global and national anxiety. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, they've done studies where they see that the horror booms tend to uh, coincide with or follow times of war. Right. Um, now we're sort of hopefully, you know, we're kind of in a post-war society now. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's either no war or everybody's dead. Right. But we're, we're, I think, you know, we're, this is a very stressful time in the world. And, you know, regardless of your political beliefs, we're all on edge. Yeah. There is a feeling of great instability. And, and yeah. you know, whichever store, whichever narrative you choose to believe, you, you're part of that narrative is that the other side's lying to you. You can't mm -hmm. trust institutions, whether it be the media or government. And, and all that anxiety coalesces around what genre? Horror. Well, horror and yep. superheroes, you know, which is kind of uh, yeah, I mean, the superhero is is the the other side of the coin is is the mm -hmm. wish fulfillment aspect yeah. of there are people who are rock solid, there are people who will keep me safe, there are people out there who you know who are who who have rock solid values who cannot be corrupted. That that that's the sort of sunny side of the street. The right. dark side of the street is um, there aren't any of those people. <laughs> we're we're all you know we're terrified and and you know what genres speak to those two realities: right. superhero movies and horror films and the menacing. Force can't be stopped. There's nothing you can do. Nothing you can yeah. do. And then there's the anti-superhero yeah. movement and the anti-horror movement. It's gonna be oh God. It's fun. It's <laughs> well, the internet is fun. Um, what are you guys watching right now? What is what's horror that you guys are, are, are in the middle of? Is there anything in you're watching that you would give a shout out to? Anything you like? I haven't, I haven't seen a new horror movie in a minute. Uh, the light, you, you'd like the lighthouse, not, well, the, not lighthouse the horror, right? The lighthouse, a horror movie, but oh my god, the lighthouse is stunning. I can't fucking wait. It's it is so beautiful, and it's 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 the kind of movie we're we're living in a really interesting age in which certain people are given are being given keys to a kingdom without really anyone watching what they're doing, seeming, and that's really exciting. And I yeah. and I, I, I it feels like. It's tenuous and then it could disappear at any moment. So I'm so relieved that we're living in this era where a movie like The Lighthouse can even get made. I mean, it's shot in an aspect ratio that is really weird for a lot of people. Like, I know people have seen it. And they're like, why was it shot like that? Uh, <laughs> I like it. It's like almost too much control and the artist is allowed to do whatever the fuck they want, which is very exciting. But, yeah. but but thankfully, and and I'm so grateful that Robert Eggers was given the opportunity to make that movie. It is really stunning. The performances um, from Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe are incredible. Uh, it, it's just a, a stunning piece of work. It's yes. it's disturbing. I, it's definitely not a horror movie. It's a genre movie for sure because it's just yeah. about two guys 
losing their minds. Um, but yeah, that's that's my favorite recently. And of course, speaking of superheroes, Robert Pattinson's going to be Batman, and I'm all for it. I can't wait for him to be I'm Batman. I'm all for it. I'm all Same. for and it. And it's Matt. It's Matt Reeves is directing that, right? Yes. Fuck yes. yeah, man! It's going to be great. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and apparently, the rumor is that it, it, there's a potentiality that they're adapting the Long Halloween. Yeah, dude. No, I'm. It's I mean, awesome. Come on, man! Like I'm very it's, excited because he's also intimated that he wants to make a detective movie because to take Batman back to his detective routes yeah. and that's what Long Halloween is. It's ultimately yes. tracking down a serial killer. It is so rad. Oh. That is honestly, as Daniel, as you were talking about, that is a perfect marriage of the superhero and horror genre. Totally. He's gonna make sure, as long as he can beat up at least like ten guys, he he needs, I need some action. Once I get the action there, because then he can put the magnifying glass out and be Detective Batman. But yeah. I also want to make sure he knows enough jujitsu and he kicks enough guys in the sternum as well. And I'm I don't, I don't know that I'll that I'll ever get over the fact that the Dark Knight never got properly, never never had a direct adaptation. It, it's it, it, uh, there's like little bits and pieces of it have let, and ended up in. I'm talking about Frank Miller. Yeah, have never have never ended. It was a dark. Dark Knight Returns. Wait, Dark Knight Returns. Yep. Yeah, Dark Knight Returns. Sorry. Daniel Day-Lewis uh, as old Batman. Ooh. Daniel yeah. Day-Lewis as old oh, Batman. Yeah. I want him so bad. They, they <laughs> He's got to say that to some someone, one of his people. I, sure. I, I don't know if I'm inventing this memory, but but I, I remember there was some conversation about Dark Knight Returns getting adapted where, where they were trying to get Clint Eastwood and oh and he had said, yeah, I have no interest in being in a superhero movie. And, I don't uh, wear a cape. But, but, I'm not you know, a ballerina. And you're like, I know, Clint. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, I just want to give a shout out to, it's not a, a movie, but uh, a video game that I'm playing right now in the horror space called Control, uh, which is um, probably my favorite kind of horror sci-fi thing that I've come across. And in fact, it's eating up so much of my time that I haven't seen any new horror films. <laughs> Dude, that um, is awesome. Control is almost like uh, they figured out how to turn a David Lynch movie into a into a uh, an RPG. Um, uh, awesome! It, it, it's uh, yeah, it's it's incredible. I will be downloading that tonight. Um, well, thank you all so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. This has been such an honor. Yeah, guys. Um, we just we've been a fan of your work for so long, and. Uh, you know, you. it's just you're you're just sort of you're you're part of the fabric of our community, and uh, we're Aww. just so happy to all be oh together in this in this weird little world of the macabre. What you guys are doing for genre is fucking hell is really helping. Oh, thank 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 you guys. Um, hey, can, I have a question for you if you'll indulge me. For of course, sure. yeah. Actually, I have two questions for you. What <laughs> one is um. Uh, are you guys are you believers in the paranormal? This is something I can never put my finger on in your conversations. I like I believe that there is no such thing as absolute truth. I think that the universe, the fact that reality is created by the three pounds of jelly in our skulls shows that reality is very uh, changeable and very thin and, and it is unpredictable and unmeasurable. It's something that we are, because we're kind of in a consensus reality. I think a lot of times that paranormal stuff can be described as either science we haven't discovered yet or just the fact that we live yeah. in a, uh, a tenuous, multi-dimensional world where shit f- slides in and out. But that's, okay. how, that's how I believe in it. But then I believe that there, there are, I think, you know, I believe in psychic abilities. I believe in, like, telekinesis. But again, I think that's future science. And I think that ghosts are essentially just, like, giant energy farts. 
<laughs> yeah, it could be. I mean, you know, I don't know. I do want to believe and I do feel like people are experiencing a lot of different paranormal activity. And, you know, when it comes to UFOs or or, or ghosts, whatever it may be, uh, it's real to the to the extent that people alter their lives entirely based upon their perception of what they've seen. So it's like it's real in the sense that if you're a, a ufologist, you swear to God you saw an alien, and next thing you know, you're making that film. Uh, what was the guy who just took the dump by the tree when the when the oh, the documentary? Fuck. Oh my God! Uh, the, the, man, the man, the the curse of the man who sees UFOs. Yes, the curse of the man who sees UFOs. Yeah, he now, saw a couple of UFOs and he shat his pants, <laughs> and he, and he tried crazy. to show this documentary crew where he shat his pants. He's like, and you see, it's right here, and he like pulled his pants down and be like, I shat right here. I shat right. Here. So so to the extent. That that man's life is forever altered. That is a very real thing. So yeah, yeah I think they're very powerful forces uh, at play. Certainly, certainly powerful enough to alter someone's entire life trajectory. Got it. All right. My second question. My my final question is, Henry, would you do your skeleton impression before we sign off? <laughs> I'm having a good time. This is my this is my skeleton voice. This is what I do. Elijah. Yes, I love it so much. This is what I do. This is my profession. Oh my goodness! Check out visitations with Elijah Wood and Daniel Noah. You will not be disappointed. Uh, thank you all so much for being on the show. We Thanks. really honestly again. It's been an honor for us too, you guys. Hell yeah, Thank bro. Thank you so much, guys. From your All right, there it was. Elijah Wood and Daniel Noah. They're Th very talented. They're very talented, and they're incredibly kind. And, man, you know what, dude? I still, like, when we started the conversation, we were like, we're such big fans. I don't even know if this was recorded or not. And Daniel was like, I'm a huge fan of last podcast. It still surprises me. It is nice that, that like, they listen. How do they know? Like, it's, I still, like, no one listens to us, right? Like, No, I but, don't know how they know. I it's, don't it know. Is, I, they're mostly just talking with them. It's really cool to see. And I think our listeners are, are similar to us, where it's like, if you've seen a girl walks home alone at night yeah. or you've seen Mandy, like th these are the people that are making this. And, and the way movies kind of work, if you're not part of show business, like these production companies, the fact that uh, honestly, like Elijah Wood is using his influence to yep. make horror good like yep. and, and good horror. Like we have yep. to support the fuck out of these movies because if we don't, that's how we lose this, and shit. they want it not to succeed. They, they oh, they don't want they it. They don't succeed want it to succeed because yeah. do, the you're industry. not making huge money. Manny's not making huge money. Girl walks home alone at night's not making huge money. They, they are making they're making waves socially. They're, people right. are talking about the movies, which is I think beautiful for art. But you don't understand, like you know, all if you Hollywood like, wants it. To the next day they, they want to the they want their day. money back the next day and i love blumhouse movies but they definitely also kind of it's it is the horror factory now right absolutely so they put out these high profile tentpole summer horror films every year and it's a lot of sequels which i also don't mind because we love every fucking cheesy sequel i want more horror more horror always i love it but know that they make money they go and print money they go and they 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 put ship out these movies and they get that money back immediately. These are things. These are films that only traffic because we like them. Absolutely. So keep on supporting great cinema and uh, you know just horror films that that need our support and always will because again this genre 
as popular as it is now, it will be under attack once again. That's just the way it works. It's There's, us. It's our way of life. It's our way of life. That's it. how I feel about horror, especially, and it's weird. I think the way they said that too about how horror is kind of like a family and the genre is kind of yeah. a, of a family, and it it weird how you kind of can feel close to horror filmmakers, even though you have nothing to do with the success of their films or anything they're doing. Right. But you sit there and being like, man, we're we kind of all are on the same team, and I didn't fully yeah. appreciate that. Absolutely. And of course, uh, the listeners of this show, we're all on the same team as well. Without you, we don't exist, and we don't take that for granted, so let's never take our favorite genre for granted either. Okay. We have to fight for it! We must fight! Uh, thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it, and um, we will see you all in Washington, D.C. this Saturday. Friday? What? This Friday? Friday. This yeah, Friday. Friday, yes. We there got we go. this. We know, we, what, we we're know what we're doing. Yeah. We so know what we're doing. So we're going to be in Washington, D.C. on Friday uh, so come on out to the Death Becomes Us Festival. Yep. And uh, it's going to be a great time. Yep. We got, we're going to be open for by uh, Jen Tisdale. Yes, friend indeed. Of the show. Very excited to perform with her. Excited to do the show. Excited to be in the nation's capital. Oh, it's always wonderful. It'll just be like an hour long. We're going to sit there, chit-chat, and have a nice little time. So thank you all so much for listening. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Magusalations. Hail me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, buddy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I- I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. It's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins as soon as I wake up. And a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. It's the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs who are looking to stand out and succeed online. Everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account. If you're looking for a creative way to increase revenue and give your family and friends the holiday treats they deserve, then you need to get started with Squarespace's new feature, Squarespace Courses. If I needed to give a class on digging holes, I'd do it. 
Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand. Upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills. And tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or you can sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash left.